have made a trip to Nikopol, an industrial town in southern Ukraine, located six kilometers from the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, now occupied by Russian troops. Russians shell the town every day with artillery, but despite this regular bombardment and the risk of a major nuclear disaster, we have met active and optimistic people. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist. My co-host is Tetyana Oharkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist, uh, director of International Department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our volunteer trips like this one at paypal ukraine.resistinggmail.com ukraine.resistinggmail.com So, Nikopal, let's let's explain to our audience why this town is important. We went there with uh, Ukrainian writers from Pen Ukraine, and uh, we brought their books to the local libraries. And um, well, before going there, of course, we we thought twice because this, the town is shelled regularly by the Russian troops. Yes, indeed, Nikopol isn't a place that everybody knows in Ukraine. And frankly speaking, we knew little about Nikopol before this full-scale invasion started in Ukraine. Nikopol is located just on the border of this artificial lake of Kachovka, Kachovsky. Uh, so it's a deeper river, but the artificial reserve of the water, so six kilometers large. And on the other side of this lake, you have Energodar. Energodar is a city, Ukrainian city, in which Zaporizhia nuclear plant is located. So uh, Russians are present in the reg- region from the very beginning, from early March 2022, and Nikopol is a place which one could consider to be a frontline city, frontline town, 100,000 uh, population before the war. And uh, what we knew about Nikopol before the full-scale invasion, we knew maybe only that there were some industries, some important industries, some of them belonging to Igor Kolomoisky, one of Ukrainian oligarchs. We knew not a lot about, it's not a big city, it's like uh, not, not not a regional center. And uh, in our in in our opinion, it was quite uh, quite uh, an interesting city. But what we discovered, it w- it went far beyond our expectation. Because first of all, this is an extremely pretty, I don't know, no nice city to live in. Uh, you have a uh, nicely located, close to a big water, with nice uh, buildings. It looks like a touristic destination in a way. Lots of trees, very, very narrow one to another. Yeah, it doesn't look industrial at all. And yes, and it was a sunny day. Maybe we spent uh, one day there without sleeping there because it was quite quite dangerous. But I, I was impressed by, by how 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 what a, what a pleasure to live in such a city. It is not too big, not too small. Uh, a lot of trees, big water. Uh, people around, I, I imagine in, in in spring and summer it it will be beautiful. Yes, so it so, so nice place to we live. We came in. we came to Nikopol from Dnipro, a 
a regional center. And in Dnipro, it was quite cold. We came uh, to Nikopal. It, it's uh, it's a more to the south, and there was sun. So we had you had this impression to enter the spring from from winter from late winter. We geographically entered the spring. Yes, and it's just two hours uh, driving from Dnipro. So not quite a big way to make from Dnipro. So if you are in the region after the war, for sure. So do go to to Nikopol. It's nice place to spend for a weekend. So this is on the on the bank of the Dnipro River, uh, on the bank of this water reserve, uh, and uh, in this way it is quite similar, maybe, to Kherson, where we've been in 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 December, and uh, in both situations Russians are on the other side of the river. In Kherson they are closer, and uh, frankly speaking, our experience in in Kherson it was also half a day spent in Kherson was much more dangerous because uh, we, we were under artillery shelling and, and the uh, artillery was just near near us. It was quite, quite loud. Uh, and, and then we uh, knew that uh, artillery shell targeted a, a place, a maternity house, which was located eight 800 meters from where we stayed. In Nikopal, we expected the same situation. Um, but, uh, and when you enter Nikopal, the situation is like the Russians are on the other side of the river and uh, it's not one kilometer or one and a half kilometer like in Kherson. In Kherson, the Dnipro River is in some places narrower, but here you have a big amount of water, so according to some estimates, six kilometers. But one uh, tiny detail. On the other side, there is Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. There is a town called Enerhodar. And in this Enerhodar, there is the Parisian nuclear power plant, which is the biggest in Europe, the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe, much bigger than Chernobyl, much bigger than uh, some other things. And Russians are occupying this power plant. They're staying inside the power plant and they shell from this place. Yeah. Right? And uh, another uh, important detail, maybe two details, important details, before the war, before the full-scale invasion, there were a direct connection between Energodar and Nikopolis. So there were ferries crossing this lake every day. So people could travel easily. And uh, when we talk to locals, we ask them if some families are living on the both sides of Dnipro River at that very location. And we got some confirmation because some people live in, in Ergodar and some other people live in some un, another um, part of the family living in Nikopol. But uh, for clear reasons, these ferries are, don't know, uh, um, don't exist anymore because of the war. So there is no way to get to the other side of the river. So one part of the, uh, I would say, left bank of Dnipro River is occupied and right bank of the river is is not occupied. So and and it, imagine being located near the biggest in Europe nuclear power plant. It mean, uh, means that you are on the not only on a time bomb, you are only time nuclear bomb. So if something happens, if a major nuclear accident happens because of the Russian occupation there, because of the Russian troops, because of the shelling, because whatever, I mean, imagine you're six kilometers from the place. There is a nuclear disaster. What you do? So, and and people, of course, are living under under these conditions. And uh, once again, um, a, a clear difference with Kherson. You just mentioned that uh, what we experienced in Kherson was in a way louder. Uh, if you compare to our experience in Nikopol, but I would also ha- highlight that this is different type of shelling, because in Kherson we were receiving 
air alerts for missiles all the time, right? So it was about uh, these, uh, say, uh, 300 missiles sometimes, and some artillery was also used. But what we have in Nikopol, when we entered Nikopol, and what they mostly have most of the time, they don't have missiles uh, sharing, but they have artillery. And you have a different sound on your air alert application on your phones. It's a different uh, different program and different uh, sound. Quite new for us because we've had it a couple of times in Kharkiv back in summer and then maybe once or twice in Kherson, but, but it's quite regular in, in Nikopol. So Russians, they are not using missiles to, to hit Nikopol, but they are using artillery. And but in, the Kherson, very, in Kherson, they are not using missiles. In Kherson, they also shell with artillery. Practice. Yeah, but they also shell with uh, S... C C three hundred. This is missiles. This is missiles. Even if 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 it's not missiles like Kaliba and others, but they are missiles, and they are sharing Kherson with that. Um, the very day we the very day we entered, we arrived to Nikopol. Two people were killed in this shelling. Uh, Early in the morning, at six, uh, seven in the morning, and there were uh, an hotel which was distracted. Locals showed us photos of this location. A hotel situated uh, directly on the bank of the Dnipro River. It was damaged, severely damaged, by the shelling. The same day we were there, but uh, the time we arrived, despite several alerts of artillery fire, we didn't hear hear a lot of uh, shellings and didn't see, didn't experience real shelling. Yeah, maybe this is our our experience. It doesn't mean that it is always like that. But we felt like li- living in Nicopol is a bit safer than living in Kherson. At least at least Kherson looked like, a, um, in December, looked like a half-empty city. After the lunch, people people are not going really outside. In Nikopal, what what uh, what uh, surprised us is that we entering the city, we see this very nasty actually air alert uh, saying that this is artillery shelling, the, the the danger of the artillery shelling, and uh, and we have seen lots of people on the market, lots of people exchanging goods, exchanging commodities, buying something, selling something. On the market, so the, the the mass of people, I mean, several dozens and maybe hundreds of people. And we were also told official figures about uh, dead and wounded. Russians started these regular shellings on the twelfth of July. So this is exact day when everything started, because when in the first months during the first months when the Russians occupied this uh, uh, left bank, right, left bank of Dnipro, they were not shelling Nikopol, but they started to do so on the twelfth of July. Um, 14 people died and 94 were were wounded during these uh, eight months, right? Eight months of uh, of these shellings. And um, I think that the depression, impression of Nicopolis being a quite a more positive city is also linked to the fact that it was never occupied, never been occupied, so there was no trauma linked to occupation. But at the same time, locals told that, uh, us that 70% of uh, the population left Nicopolis, primarily um, families with kids, and uh, with children, with, so there are no schools, no kindergartens, and we'll discuss also libraries. So yes, there are n- no young people. But at the same time, um, and there are not a lot of displaced people coming to Nikopol because it's quite a dangerous place to stay in. So um, 
we would say that at that very moment, approximately 30,000 people are living in this city. Yes, and uh, you might ask how people react to these shellings. Uh, so uh, people seem to be, uh, of course, used to it. So not really running into the shelters. Um, as we said to you, as we told you, uh, you can you can find people literally doing air alert and the danger of artillery shelling. They would go uh, through the market and, and then continue buying some goods. Um, hopefully they, I hope they, they did not have this experience as people have already in Kherson when these mass gatherings of people are shelled uh, precisely uh, uh, by the Russian artillery, as we have seen in December. Uh, interestingly, people are using using their smartphones, especially Telegram gr- groups, to to understand what kind of danger there is because. Uh, there are telegram groups in which people exchange information and some of these people like who send this information seem to be located on the other side uh, of Dnipro River on the occupied territories and they send some signals to the locals on Nikopol and some other places that look there is something preparing and we, we see that there is something preparing. So it's a kind of a clandestine in- exchange of information which, which shows the importance of the social networks in, in this particular situation. It's not from the media that they take this information very important for their lives, but they take it from the Telegram channels. This is a very good point about the importance of social media, but a good question to ask here is why Russians they do they shell Nikopol for many months already? It's quite clear for Russian troops there is no uh, opportunity, no possibility to cross this deeper river and to advance in this region. So there is um, there is no such a situation like a revenge we observed in Kherson. So uh, Russians were obliged to leave Kherson. Maybe they, they, this is an act of revenge. They're trying to punish uh, Ukrainian population for being, yeah, for being uh, pro-Ukrainian or whatever. In Nikopol, there is no clear reason why do they do every day. I mean, starting from July until February, March, March, We've been there in the beginning of March. They're doing that that every day and every night they lose a lot of shells. And at the same time, there is no clear military basis. I mean, as we were told by locals, there are no clear uh, places where Ukrainian military are. So they are definitely present in the region, but they are mostly mobile groups and you never know where they are exactly. They are, by the way, there is an extremely... Uh, um, effective air defense system in the region and specifically in Nikopol. So what they do, they they shut down a lot of uh, drones and uh, other devices from Russians coming from Russians. But but you could not say that there is a military base and we have seen no soldiers, no one, no no military, no military presence in Nikopol. Well, on, on the checkpoints, we have seen uh, yeah, but this who... is police and so so. The reason, and we asked locals, what, what are you understanding? Why do why do you think Russians are doing so? And we get no clear answers. This is like 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 uh, just just because they are Russians, and that's because why they are shelling the city. Yes, because I mean you cannot really cross the the, the water in this place, right? There are no bridges. The, the closest bridges are in Zaporizhia, in Kahovka. Uh, 
and and the water is really huge, so much wider than in Kherson, and we have seen that in Kherson it, it was quite a difficult, if there is no bridge, if uh, Antonivsky Bridge was, when Antonivsky Beach was kind of damaged, it was really, Russians were really, really panicking. So the danger that they will cross the river and, and, and go uh, on attack, attack Nikopal, is quite, it's, it's non-existent, right? So... Why they're shelling? Maybe this is uh, also about impunity, your, your favorite topic, right? Because they are based on the nuclear power plant or near the nuclear power plant, and they know that Ukrainians will not shell, uh, you know, in response to uh, being afraid that something can happen in the nuclear power plant. And therefore, it's like, okay, we can shell on you, you cannot shell on us. This is yeah, maybe just, just, we are shelling you just because we can. Yeah, Styra this famous Ukrainian paramedic told in her speech in, in the United States uh, when she asked one of her uh, of Russians why uh, he asked her why do you think we are doing that to you and her response was very brief just because you can so they tell Nikopol just because they can do so and that's why they are trying to to punish yeah, to, 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 to punish Ukrainians. So other patterns of Kherson and Nikopol is that it's dangerous to be close to the river and uh, basically we see that the, the districts close to the river are half empty and uh, one of the parallels that we have seen in both cities is that we visited libraries in, in both both cities uh, on the bank of the river. A big library, regional library uh, uh, with the name of Oles Honchar, one of Ukrainian writers of the 20th century in, in Kherson, uh, quite damaged by the Russian uh, artillery. And a small library, children's library, a very nice one, very beautiful one before this shelling in in Nikopol, where you can see the the glasses with you know with these children toys with the characters from the children con- cartoons which are which are destroyed and uh, w- we were showing these pictures before the war how wonderful it was how beautiful it was and the library is very active it was you know winning grants from international institutions like German GRZ or some others and really creating a place for dialogue for 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 discoveries of for children for for their education and now it's it's of course gone nothing is happening there it's uh, i mean there was shelling s- several times close to to this place yeah, so and it's is. precisely downtown. This very the historical center of Nicopolis on the border. So, and imagine you see a central street at the, the downtown, and see this monument to Bogdan Khmelnytsky and this beautiful library, and some other beautiful places, some shops. There were some shops, some commercial uh, streets. It's like promenade near like, like the promenade. river, right? But it's it's completely empty, and people say that you would better not stay here for more than a couple of minutes because you never know what happens next, and they already shelled it many times. So it's the closest point to to Russian position. So it's better, better don't just just and and it, the presence of uh, Energodar and f- of this um, Zaporizhia nuclear plant it it explains uh, why people uh, a lot of people left um, the region and left the town even before these massive shellings started. Because imagine you are living so close to, uh, to this plant and imagine that you have this scenario in your imagination that if something happens and your are, children are here and your, I don't know, your kids or your grandchildren are here, so you will be obliged to quit extremely quickly. So that's why um, people who were afraid of this 
a potential threat they left the city from the very beginning and unfortunately it also means that there are no more kids to read these books from the library so even if and the difference with Kherson but the difference with Kherson is that if in Kherson uh, we haven't observed any kind of effort of reconstruction after these shellings at least I don't remember. In Nikopol, we were told that all services in the city, they are extremely quick to repair any kind of damage. So there is shelling, something destroyed, a, a house or, I don't know, any kind of public place. And in, in just in a few hours, everything is, you know, cleaned up. If there is a destruction, it's covered by something, just not to make an impression of a dead city. Dangerous, even if shellings happen every day and every night, but just to maybe to hide them. Maybe this is also about illusion that you are living in the peaceful times, but their efforts are there just to cover the damage, just to clean places. And, for example, the library... We've been to uh, the the entire wall wall destructed uh, during the shelling in the late August, right? And in a couple of weeks, they uh, proceeded to reconstruction. They covered, they just, just reconstructed the wall and made so just secured secured the whole building for it to be able to last in the time and to proceed to a bigger reconstruction later. So it's something unprecedented because they are living as if. There's, there is a hope for future and the hope for big reconstruction. Yes, and uh, and the important thing that uh, that the local power is there, local authorities are there. We have seen different patterns in this war, right? Some some mayors have uh, have fled the risk of the occupation. Here, the there was no occupation, but there is regular shelling, and it is important whether the local power is strong enough psychologically, emotionally to stay here in this. Nikopol in this city, the local, the, the mayor have stayed. Uh, he's a person connected to Kolomoisky, as as we were told. Uh, he was in the his party for the future, Zamay Butnya. But it seems that even those people we've talked to who were against this party, against this oligarchic party, they were voters of other parties, uh, they uh, estimate his work quite positively. So interestingly, we, we, we see another interesting process in Ukraine that people really cross their political political uh, preferences sometimes and uh, are ready to accept people from other political political fronts so uh, uh, let let me just um tell one more thing i just told that they were just a couple of minutes ago that there were no uh, internally displaced people uh, in nikopol but in the beginning but I, I should just to be to be correct that in the beginning of the conflict before july 2022 there were quite a big amount of people coming from kherson region for example from chernobyevka and from kramatorsk in the east and from zaporizhia there were quite a big amount of displaced people who were coming to this beautiful town uh, just to be in security. But it, after July, they were obliged to quit the city, just to leave the city because of the shellings. But interestingly, uh, the uh, the plants which are in the city, the big industrial plants like the uh, the iron producer Nikopolsky Ferrosplavny Zavod, the iron producing uh, plant, are working and this is also an interesting thing because 
we visited Kramatorsk in the eastern Ukraine with uh, with the big uh, industrial machine building plants, and uh, we were told that they are not working because of the shelling, but also because of the risk of of the of the war of the occupation. Uh, in Krivirich, for example, um, there is in, and in Zaporizhia the the, cra- the the biggest the biggest steel producing uh, pl- uh, s- steel producing cities with the biggest steel producing enterprises. Well, there is a question. So, so some of the enterprises are working for twenty percent, like Krivirichstal. We were told, or um, um, you know, not fully, not fully working in Nikopol, despite this fact that the city is shelled, uh, the the plants are working, and therefore people get salaries, and this is the most important thing. So, they are actually also motivated to stay. Therefore, again, this city is not a ghost town; is not so much empty, and uh, you know, we can say full of life, despite, uh, as you said, seventy percent have gone. But so uh, all those thirty percent are in the city, and you, you my, can feel this life. My guess is that uh, mostly men stayed inside the city if there is some job, some work, and families, specifically with small children, maybe they left. And uh, we ask about schools and kindergartens. For clear reasons, there is no schools. I mean, no offline schools. There might be some uh, online education, but you may be anywhere in Ukraine or even abroad to 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 have this kind of uh, this type of education. So um, there is no real, um, yeah, no re- real education in the city. So no real presence of children. Even if we've, we we witnessed, we've seen, we've seen some uh, some some children in the streets. Some yeah, so it, this is uh, looks like uh, quite a positive news for Nikopol. Let's talk about volunteers that we have met in Nikopol, and uh, the first one is a lady who is called Margarita, and Margarita is leading a center, the children of Nikopol, Dite Nikopola, um, the center which actually started its operation well before this full-scale invasion as a center helping the. Uh, people with cancer. As far as we understood, the, there was a story in her own family. She lost her daughter, and then she she founded the center. And after the full-scale invasion, this center, which was actually aimed at helping people with cancer and primarily children with cancer, has turned into into a you know volunteer center, which is helping many people, including those people who are staying in the city or those people who actually are IDPs, internally displaced persons. And they are also helping military. So such a personal tragedy of the, her daughter was 70 years old, uh, 17 years old when she died. She also had a um, son. And so she's a dancer teacher, by the way. So somebody who is so full of energy in her 60s, so a dance teacher, and she was talking a lot about how much time she spent in her life, maybe decades and decades of teaching kids to dance. And she was organizing festivals, charity festivals, to raise money to help um, uh, children with cancer. So she's transformed her own tragedy into a very positive engagement, very positive action for many decades already. And she's still active in this uh, cancer thing, uh, not only but other diseases as well for children, but also for adults. So there's no limitation only specifically for children. And she was also helped by uh, Christoph Raiva, who was a German 
uh, who went to the city, who had um, he had a kind of business in the city for many decades as well, and he helped a lot in the beginning of this of her organization and founded and bought a um, place uh, place for this organization and helped a lot with with uh, to finance these uh, these things but now they are helping a lot uh, military ukrainian military ukrainian displaced people and uh, people who are ill so yeah Yes, and uh, we were very, very much impressed with with the center and with these activities and and the way the, the way how it's it's really energetic and really very much pro Ukrainian, Ukrainian speaking. Although uh, doesn't mean that everything is like that in Nikopol. The the positions of people who may be sympathizing with Russians, well, they are present. They are not overwhelming, but they are present. Uh, some of them are you know, changing maybe their views. Some of them are pretending they're changing their views. There are also um, powerful positions of the Moscow Church, or uh, as it is called officially Ukrainian Orthodox Church, uh, as we add of Moscow Patriarchy. Uh, the Ukrainian Church, the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, the, the genuinely Ukrainian Church is also present, but it seems that it is less less powerful. So, Still, many problems of of these regions which were present before they they are, are there, uh, yeah. But uh, but Ukrainian community is quite quite visible. Yeah, and this place in is not the only place which is delivering volunteer aid aid for for citizens. Uh, we visited another wonderful place in Nikopol. This one of these libraries in the, not on the on the bank of Dnipro, but somewhere deeper, deeper. So in a, in a safer place, and we met its director Olena Vasilievna, who told us the story that uh, they were also organizing plenty of things for for people. They were helping militaries. They were collecting uh, goods for both civilians and military from the very beginning of this full-scale invasion. But uh, we were allowed to visit a very remarkable place uh, in this library, and specifically its bomb shelter, just a normal underground of the library. They organized things in a way that people from the neighborhood, they could come there and spend the night there. And you can check on, on the Twitter of Ukraine World uh, our videos recorded there. So people, they, they have... Uh, 24 places, if I'm not mistaken, 24 people are sleeping every night in this place. They organize in beds and, and they, some of them are even spend the Christmas night inside. So there is kind, some kind of decoration. But the most interesting detail in that is that people, that library provided books for people who are in the underground so they can they can read you can imagine so it's it's quite cold in the underground there's no central heating in the underground you can still sleep uh, if you have enough of uh, clothes and uh, we remember that in Nicopolis and in every every region of Ukraine we had a very difficult time of uh, regular blackouts so people were staying in the dark and in the cold but with books and they could read uh, with their candles or with a little eyes with uh, mm, with generators I don't know exactly how uh, some kind of light so and people are reading books in the underground during every night and people they really do come every night like a second home this is the the shelter for uh, 
for animals, for pets. Very close to the bank of the river, there is a big... Scientific, but her impression is that there are twice more dogs in the street than before the full-scale invasion. It would mean 5,000 animals, 5,000 dogs on the streets of Nikopol. And she's trying to take care of the most vulnerable ones. So I'm ill dogs, so she's trying to help them, to feed them, to, to, to bring some medical care... And there are a lot of dogs living in, in her apartment. And by the way, this is precisely her hobby. It's her volunteer activity. She has her job. She's a lawyer. And she has a full-time job. And during all her free time, she's busy with dogs. She's feeding them and doing things for them. And she will not abandon the city if, in case of emergency because she feels this kind of responsibility for, 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 for living creatures, for dogs. And this is so much difference with the way how Russian soldiers are... Uh, you know, sh showing their attitude to animals. We have seen so many stories when you enter the deoccupied city and you, you see lots of pets killed by the Russians, lots of dogs, but also in Buche Erpin we have seen other animals like horses or uh, or, uh, or cats or, or other animals killed by the Russian soldiers. And uh, it seems that this kind of a necrophilic or sadistic element of the Russian army is present very much. And um, we cannot say that all Ukrainians are, you know, biophiles, but this shows that there are those Ukrainians who are actually taking care uh, of the animals in a city which is under shelling. And this is maybe the, also the sign of this biophilia. Which is which is present um, in in some parts of the Ukrainian society, very strongly present. Yeah, and by the way, dogs they lo they do look quite good, so they are not so much afraid of sharing. We were able to see that they are they in good shape, right? So the dogs we've seen they're in good shape. They are. Uh, they are, I would know, joyful and not really afraid. So they they accustomed to this shelling, and they are not traumatized in a way. Trauma, if you can say, traumatized about a dog, and they are not. They they quite happy to be to be in this shelter and to be to be treated like uh, like uh, living creatures, right? Okay, so this is it. This is our story of Nikopol, a an industrial city in the southern Ukraine very close to the biggest European nuclear power plant, living under constant shelling and uh, under the risk of a major nuclear disaster, but uh, still very sunny, very uh, very friendly, very optimistic, uh, at least those people whom, whom we met, and biophilic. This is a paradox of, the, of this city, uh, and we enjoyed it very much, and we really want to come back. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova from Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to subscribe uh, to Ukraine World and social networks on Twitter, on Facebook, on Reddit, on Quora, on Instagram, on YouTube. You can also uh, support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can support our volunteer trips like this one to Nikopol at paypal.ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.